Pairing Beer and Cheese by Garrett Oliver, Brewmaster at Brooklyn Brewery. This is Craft Beer Radio's coverage of the Beer and Cheese Pairing from the Food Pavilion at the Great American Beer Festival. This took place on the Thursday evening session and was standing room only to listen to Garrett talk. Good to see everybody. Uh, my name is Garrett Oliver. I am the brewmaster of Brooklyn Brewery. Some of you know me better as the uh, author of The Brewmaster's Table, which is a book about matching beer and food. And we're going to do a little beer and cheese tasting here. Now, over the course of a year, you know, I'll do dozens of tastings and dinners, uh, usually in a few countries. You know, at Brooklyn Brewery, we actually sell about 10% of our beer in Europe. Uh, so I just got back from, uh, from Stockholm and, uh, and, and England. I uh, had a really great trip. But wherever I go, I think the favorite tasting to do uh, is the beer and cheese tasting. Actually, the, the, the number one favorite uh, thing, maybe we can do it next year, is the beer versus wine with cheese tasting, where I take on a top sommelier in front of an audience, kind of Iron Chef style. You know, and it's particularly fun because the wine guy always loses. Um, some of them know they're going to lose in advance, but most of them don't know what's about to hit them. And people really do think of, uh, you know, people say, well, beer with cheese, wine goes with cheese. Why would we use beer? Well, actually, when it comes right down to it, beer is actually a much better accompaniment for cheeses uh, across the board than wine is. And I would love to say the reason why I win those tastings is because I'm a genius, but actually, I have much better weapons than the other guy. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's always a good time. We do it for the American Institute of Wine and Food, big fundraisers uh, and stuff like that. One of these days, hopefully, it'll be the American Institute of, of Beer, Wine and Food. Uh, we're going to be sending some, uh, some cheese out to you in a moment. But basically, the reason why beer works better is uh, fairly simple. Wine can do a great job sometimes at contrast with cheeses. But beer can do contrast at the same time as doing harmony. And that's kind of what I want to show uh, off with you guys today, is the harmonious aspects between great cheeses uh, and nice beers. Now I'll tell you, when I, when I told these guys what cheeses I wanted, they went and came back and said, huh, $30 a pound. Yeah. Well, think about it this way. You know, you're not, these are not cheeses you're going to go out and, and like eat uh, a half a pound of sometime. Maybe with some friends, but these are relatively serious cheeses. We're not, you know, we're not giving you like, uh, you know, chunks of craft uh, cheddar or something here. Good cheese does usually cost, starts at around $18 a pound and uh, goes easily up to 30 and, and, and past it, but great cheese is worth it. One thing I think is, is really interesting and is part of the affinity between beer and cheese is that they both essentially come from the same place. They're both, in a way, made from grass. Now, in the case of the first beer that you have coming around right now, the grass in question is barley, but also wheat. Both of these are grasses and the grassy flavors do come through into the beer. Now in the case of cheese, cheese is also made from grass. You do have a, a sheep, a cow, or a, or a goat in between, but you actually do end up with some of those flavors uh, going on in there. The first beer you have coming out to you is uh, from New Belgium Brewery, right around the corner. This is their Mothership Wit, so it's the Belgian style of wheat beer. Uh, spiced with curacao, orange peel, and coriander. You might have a couple of other things going on in there. One thing you'll see, very traditional, super pale color. 
This is because uh, a large proportion of the wheat that's used is not actually malted. It's raw wheat. And in the aroma and the flavor, you actually get some pasta-like flavors. But part of the flavor of a beer like this also is a certain kind of tanginess. You get a little bit of acidity. And the cheese that we're going to have coming out to go along with it, conveniently rolled into a little ball. No, it does not come like this. It actually comes in a, uh, in a, in a large wheel with a blooming rind. It's called Cypress Grove Humboldt Fog. Uh, those of you who are cheese fans you know, may already know it. Um, it is considered one of the best aged goat cheeses made outside of France. It's made in the uh, San Francisco area by uh, the mother and daughter team, Mary Keane, and, uh, and her daughter. And probably the best goat cheese that you're going to be able to find on a relatively regular basis uh, around the United States. Pretty much any decent cheese shop uh, in the country you know, has this cheese. They've done a wonderful job with it. And what we're going to see, I think, is the affinity, first of all, generally speaking, between goat cheeses and our Belgian-style wheat beer. Now, the first thing that beer has going for it uh, versus wine when it comes to cheese is a very simple uh, attribute, which is carbonation. And carbonation is not to be underestimated. Essentially, part of the problem with wine and cheese is not only flavors that are not terribly complementary, but also the fact that cheese, let's face it, is full of fat. That's kind of what cheese is about. That's why we like it. It's got salt, it's got fat, it tastes good. That fat melts and coats your tongue. So when you go to drink something, it tends to actually kind of bounce off. What the beer actually does is, and this might not sound terribly wonderful, but it works well you know, on your palate, is it literally scrubs your palate clean of that fat and allows you to taste everything. And a lot of beers, a lot of wines rather, will bounce off, which is one reason why in the wine trade they have this old saying that you should buy on, uh, on apples but sell on cheese. And what this means is that you can take a pretty rough wine, give somebody some cheese, then give them the wine, and it'll taste okay. And that's one reason why a lot of us think of beer, of wine and cheese together, is we see them all together in the same places, cut up into cubes, you know, with the wine at the art opening, the party, you know, the wedding, you know, whatever. Now, do you think people really went out and spent a lot of money on that cheese and that wine, you know, for those events? No. One of the reasons why people have always put those things together is so you can buy pretty cheap wine and make it taste okay. And that's fine if that's what you're looking to do. What we're looking to do is actually to have uh, a combination. Now, one of my favorite things to do cooking, you know, during the summertime is an omelet, which sounds a little bit weird. Uh, however, I promise you, this is really, really good. Very simple to make. It'll take you 10 minutes or less. And it's sauteed Granny Smith apples and goat cheese like this. And all you do is you peel the apples, you saute them in butter until they start to turn brown, and you make your omelet, you know, uh, put some of the goat cheese in there, fold it over, the goat cheese melts, a little bit of cracked pepper on top, and you get your uh, Belgian or Belgian-style wheat beer, and it's an absolutely great combination. Well, I can see some of you are already eating your cheese. <laughs> you, you, don't, you haven't quite had the discipline to wait for these people over here. Uh, there's a question over here. Gareth, uh, uh, you, you picked an American cheese, and you've got a great American beer. 
both inspired by good products from Europe. How do you compare what's going on both in beer and cheese uh, with what's happening in America compared to what's happened for hundreds of years in Europe? Well, I think it's really interesting uh, for the Europeans to see what we've been doing all this time and the way we've been inspired, frankly, by what goes on in Europe with beer and with cheese. I think part of the big difference is that in beer, the a lot of this stuff is actually starting to flow in the other direction also. So what you're seeing is that the, a lot of the uh, a lot of the European brewers are looking to the United States for innovation and creativity, uh, whereas we look to them for you know history and the development of certain styles of beer. So when I whenever I go overseas, you know people are sure they're interested in our more traditional beers, but they're really loving the stuff that's 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 new and fascinating because the the United States is doing a lot more when it comes to development of new styles. Okay, well let's taste let's taste the beer first. I guess everybody tasted it. And now let's taste the cheese second and then taste them together. Okay, just second there. I think the cheese is coming around. So for those of you who had a chance to taste it, we'll catch up with the, with those of you who have it coming in a second. Uh, I think you can see the affinity between the two. Uh, you have a nice zingy acidity to the beer. You have the beer. You can pick up on that part. Trust me. Well, you guys know goat cheese. Um, and the, the difference here is that this is a goat cheese. It's got a bloomy rind on the outside. starts to get kind of uh, soupy underneath the rind uh, as it gets older. You know, it's been compacted together now, so you have some of the rind in here also. So you have all those volatile, funky, mushroomy flavors, almost brie-like flavors. Uh, from aged goat cheese in there with it, and they pick up really nicely on what's going on uh, with the uh, with the Belgian yeast strains. A blooming rind is basically when you have a white mold that grows on the outside. So brie is a blooming rind cheese, and actually the second cheese that we're going to be serving, which is called Briat Savarin, is also a blooming rind cheese. Uh, Camembert. Uh, there are there are several different types of uh, of rinds. You have that. You have what's called washed rind where the rind of the cheese is actually washed with either water or wine or beer or something which is meant to dampen the outside of the cheese and promote bacterial and, and, and growth of molds and, uh, and yeasts and things like that that are going to flavor the cheese. So real cheese doesn't really come like wrapped in wax, for example. You know, that cheese is dead. You know, real cheese is alive. And that's one of the nice things here, too. What you have you know, in front of you is is two different things which are essentially living. The next beer that you have coming around is uh, a beer of, uh, of ours at Brooklyn Brewery. Uh, this is called Brooklyn Local One. It's essentially a strong Saison. Uh, and when I say that, what I mean is that that's the closest style that I can really kind of shoehorn it into uh, mentally. It is a, certainly a Belgian-inspired beer. Uh, it's 9%. Uh, it certainly takes some things from the Saison style. Uh, it has some affinity with the strong golden style, a la Dufel, Delirium Tremens, um, and some things in common with a triple. Uh, it uses a raw first pressing sugar from the island of Mauritius, which gives it a honey, tobacco-like underpinning. It's uh, one of the few beers in the United States of any size that is made by 100% bottle re-fermentation, uh, which is pretty rare now even in Belgium. And that means the beer actually goes into the bottle completely flat. Uh, the original yeast strain is filtered out. A secondary yeast strain goes in, a separate yeast strain. 
and it undergoes re-fermentation in the bottle in our warm rooms for two weeks. It comes out, goes into cold conditioning for a further two weeks, and emerges with a nice fluffy carbonation. There is quite a bit of yeast in the bottom of the bottle, so some of you could get uh, some uh, a little bit of yeast, but you'll just be a little bit healthier as a result. Get your all your vitamin B. <laughs> it has, well, you won't have a hangover after this. The hair of the dog here is pretty powerful at 9%, so. Yeah. And now I can't recommend this to you as a, as a way to solve your problem, but the solution will be temporary. Now, when you taste the beer, you might think at first that it tastes sweet, but technically speaking, it's actually extremely dry. It actually has a lot less residual sugar than the first beer does. The reason why it tastes sweet is because of fruity esters that are developed during the re-fermentation and the main fermentation, and also because of the alcohol. Alcohol tastes sweet on the palate. You know, think of bourbon, which has no sugar in it, but has a very sweet flavor. If you're a wine person, think of Alsace Gewürztraminer, vinified, very dry, but with such a fruity character that most people think it's sweet when they taste it. And the way you can tell the difference is that when the beer goes down, kind of pay attention to your palate and see whether you can really taste any sugar. And I think after this beer goes down, it finishes very, very dry, you know, because there's very, very little sugar left uh, after the re-fermentation. The beer has a very spicy characteristic to it, but there are no spices. They're just the two different yeast strains uh, giving you that characteristic. So it's funny, I read online people saying, you know, I think the, you know, it's a really nice beer, but they use a little bit too much coriander. It's like, there's no coriander. <laughs> I always find those things funny, you know. Okay, our second uh, cheese, which we'll be getting out to here in a moment. And I am handling this on purpose just so that you can see. Sometimes you have to handle your cheese. And this cheese is essentially in the, in the center, almost like a nice creamy paste. And has a very buttery, you know, characteristic to it. Well, some cheeses are crumbly. Some cheeses are crumbly. Some you can really feel the, uh, the curd as you break it apart. This cheese has the blooming rind on the outside. It's melting on the inside. Now the big difference between this and something like brie or camembert is that it's what you call a triple creme. And this is when instead of making the cheese uh, entirely out of milk, you're making it out of milk and cream. So this brings the butterfat content up to 70%. You know, the average for most cheeses is 35 to 40%. So again, this is why it's called triple creme. Uh, it's named after the, uh, the French gastronome, Briat Savarin. Um, and there are several cheeses of this type that you'll see on the market. Pierre Robert, Explorateur, I think probably uh, Briat Savarin is the best known among them. And I think that they work really, really well. You know, they're very creamy, very buttery, but again, some of that mushroomy character you might recognize from other uh, Bloomy Rhine cheeses like Brie or Camembert. You know, there's a little bit of wild character, if you like, in that rind. And some people, they'll go scoop all the buttery bits, you know, and all the paste out of the rind. This is a cheese, I like some rind. And it is an area, and when you taste the rind, I think you can realize why a cheese like this gives wine problems. You know, because, you know, you have these very interesting, you know, characteristics running around that simply don't work well uh, against wine flavors. Um, it tends to turn red wines very tough. Um, and really overruns most white wines. 
One thing that I find interesting is that when I do these competitions, only one person ever brought a single red wine into competition with me, and I've done this maybe 15 times in, se in six or seven countries, and one red wine ever showed up. Red wine with cheese is really, really difficult to do, and professionals basically don't even try it. Um, it's white wine. If you're going to go with cheese, you know, white wine and usually something with residual sugar. Um, of course, we prefer beer. This cheese basically melts in your mouth. If you have a big piece of rind, you might decide you want to... Um, actually, I think you should decide to just eat the whole thing at once. I think it's great. And the flavor of the beer really handles it, I think, extremely well. You know, it's a very robust uh, flavor. If you're familiar with wine, you might be familiar with the idea of a, a wine being corked. And the cork, you know, when they say a wine is corked, it has this kind of musty, damp, basement, you know, kind of aroma to it. Well, cheeses develop those flavors naturally. They're usually referred to, in this case, as mushroomy flavors. Strangely enough, for a wine to work well with these cheeses, it really needs something to grab onto in a cheese like this. And usually all it can do is be in opposition. You can do something nice and fruity, you know, versus the flavors of a cheese like this. We're, we're able to go in with beer flavors that are every bit as complex as wine flavors and really match a lot of the things that are going in going on, rather, in the flavors of the cheese. Those of you who have gotten the cheese so far, how do you like the pairing? I think it works pretty well. It really is always dependent on, in a situation like this, how much rind you get. If, you, if, if you've got a piece that's like almost all rind, you might find the cheese is almost too big for the beer. If you've got a piece that uh, had very little rind, I think you find that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's basically perfect. Or you can even have the beer a little bit too big. You're always looking to match up the overall impact of the beer and the cheese so that one thing doesn't run right over the other. But the basic flavors, I think, work together extremely well. The next cheese is going to find a lot easier to physically handle. The third cheese is one of my favorites. It's from the, uh, uh, the Spanish Pyrenees, um, and it's called Osao Erati. It is a, uh, a sheep's milk cheese. I'm gonna go and grab a little piece of it here. Okay, this is your this is your third cheese that's coming out. It's a very pale yellow color. It's called Osawarati. It's very crumbly, but relatively dry. And when you get the cheese, the first thing I want you to do, don't laugh, I want you to break the piece open and I want you to smell it. One thing you always have to remember is that, you know, cheese is just like beer when it comes to tasting it. You know, your sense your sense of taste is largely a sense of smell. Your tongue only perceives sweet, sour, salt, and bitter. So from this cheese, that's all you're going to get, you know, aside from what happens, uh, you know, on the nose. So the first thing to pay attention to, aside from the texture of the cheese, uh, is also what the cheese smells like. And in this case, I think it's really important. Now, when you smell it, the smell that you get is a smell, in a way, of wool. You know, if you've ever been caught out in a rainstorm, you know, when you're wearing a, a, a wool coat, you'll recognize that slightly nutty uh, aroma. And the reason for that is because lanolin is what 
gives wool its spring. It's the oil, basically, in the wool. It's the aroma, I hate to say it, of the sheep. And the lanolin also is in the sheep's milk. The sheep's milk is making the cheese. So in this case, you really do taste you know, where the animal, you know, what animal it came from. If you start to know cheese, when you smell a cheese like this, you wouldn't really mistake it uh, for a, uh, a cow's milk cheese. And I, I think it's wonderful stuff. It, uh, as I said, it's a, it's a dry, firm texture, a nuttiness in the center, um, an almost slightly granular characteristic, but then it's also very floral. And it changes from t different times of year depending upon what the pastures are that the sheep are on. You know, because if they're eating, if it's during the winter and they're eating more hay and stuff like that, they're not really out in the fields, you get a somewhat different character than you get in the springtime when you're getting all these wonderful flavors of all the young shoots and flowers and, uh, and whatever else. So cheese uh, is, is often quite seasonal. The beer will be coming up in a second, and the beer is from Great Lakes, and it's Great Lakes Brown Ale. A very fine brewery from Cleveland. Oh, I love this cheese. This really is one of my favorites. In this pairing, I, I think you're going to see, um, in some ways, the closest affinities on the palate that you've seen so far because the nuttiness of the caramel flavors that are in the beer link up perfectly with the nuttiness of the flavors that are in the cheese. And I love the way these two things kind of disappear into each other. In a weird sort of way, the beer is the beer version of the cheese, and the cheese is the cheese version of the beer. And you know, it's not just cheese, you know, where... Now, one area where I will give it to, uh, to wine, actually, is while you don't find wonderful pairings for this cheese so much uh, in wine, you will find it in, uh, in sherry. You know, because you can develop caramelized, nutty flavors in sherry, you actually can pair sherries up, you know, with a cheese like this really well. Last time I went up against one of these guys, he said he was going to bring the nukes. And uh, he actually showed up with like all fortified wines. You know, he still lost, but he did a little bit better because he had some cherries and stuff to, uh, you know, to work with, you know, when cheeses like this came along. And I think when you get the two of them together on your palate, you can kind of see how they really dovetail one right into the other. You know, caramelized flavors in food are really important. And... Uh, there are, car are caramel-like flavors that develop in a lot of cheeses. They get even deeper in some older Goudas uh, and things like this. But almost all the, uh, the hard sheep's milk cheeses, whether it's this or Manchego, is another really popular one, much sharper than this. Uh, you're going to see that basic wool character, that basic sheep character, if you like, you know, coming through. And, and you can really pair that up with just about any good, rich uh, brown ale uh, out there. And it's going to work really well. So that's one of my really go-to pairings. If you're having people over, um, that's a very easy one to do. Almost any fairly robust brown ale can work really well with a cheese like this. And again, Osau Irati or Osau VA, that's spelled O-S-S-A-U. If you just look, look for it out there at your you know, favorite cheese shop. Around here, I know that uh, I did one of these tastings a couple of years ago, and they found all the cheeses at, uh, at uh, Costco. No problem. You know, at first I said, oh, no, you can't, you can't get this at Costco. And they went there and found all of them. So, you know, 
I have a question about local cheeses, because with the craft brew industry and it's really supporting your local... About what, what kind of cheeses? Local cheeses. Local cheeses. Because like, a lot of these... Well, the Humboldt Fog would be a local cheese from California, but Spanish and whatnot. Do you like to try and do pairings with cheeses? Like, if we're doing something from Colorado, you'd find a local cheese from Colorado and pair it with that? When it's possible, you know, I like to pair uh, local cheeses with local beers. I'm not always, you know, a lot of people on the wine side are always saying, well, you know, the local wine has to be the thing that goes with local food. And in fact, it's a very romantic idea, but it's often not true. Um, a lot of the best pairings, you know, are not things like, you know, whether it's like wheat beer with Chinese food or something, uh, it might be the nicest pairing, but they don't have anything to do with each other ge geographically. You know, there are, you know, a lot of great cheesemakers across the whole country. I did a presentation for the uh, American so uh, Cheese Society um, a couple of months ago, and we, we used a lot of different cheeses from Vermont, um, you know, because that's where they were holding it, and uh, they were all terrific. And we paired them with a lot of uh, you know uh, Northeast beers, um, so it, it's it's fun to do it that way. And interestingly, a lot of cheesemakers become brewers, and brewers become cheesemakers, you know, because they're both basically working uh, in fermentation. And, you know, this is really what's going on. You're setting a curd, and then you're fermenting it. You have various things that you want to act on it over time, and it's, it's, it's drying and changing in a biological fashion. And, you know, that's what real cheese is, uh, is definitely all about. Last, but in some ways most, we have our, our last cheese, uh, which will be coming out, uh, which is Colston Bassett Stilton. Now, I decided a long time ago, and I know this is... This is rather close-minded of me. It's, uh, it's not a very liberal point of view, but I've decided that when it comes right down to it, people who don't like Stilton are bad people. You know, if you don't like Stilton, you pretty much can't come to my house. You know, you can't hang out. You know, you got a problem. Stilton is, uh, in, in many ways, considered the king of cheeses. And uh, among the, uh, the king of cheeses, this particular Stilton is considered the king of Stiltons. It's called Colston Bassett. The affinage is done by Neil's Yard Dairy. And Stilton is a cow's milk cheese that sets a relatively loose curd. And then it is uh, inoculated with the same mold that makes uh, the Roquefort cheese. It's called Penicillium Roqueforti. And the way that they, they develop it is by punching air holes into the cheese and allowing oxygen to come into contact with that mold and that mold is one that needs air really to survive and to bloom. And when the air holes go into the cheese, it starts to bloom, and it goes from a very buttery young cheese to a cheese that starts to take on more and more of that uh, of that sharpish character that you're getting from uh, from the Stilton. I mean, and also uh, what uh, is euphemistically referred to often as the barnyard character. Now Stilton is very very salty. Oh, this is good Stilton. I'm just really happy right now, so I'm going to be quiet for a second. Yeah, that, that's, that's really good. And what I love about it is that, um, you know, great Stilton is genuinely funky. You know, if it, if it tastes like it's just all about butter and salt, that isn't really what Stilton is about. You have to get some of that barnyardy funk going. And 
uh, th now the reason why many people put port up against Delton is because the sweetness versus the salt is a really nice, easy combination, and it's pretty pleasant. I think barley wine works so much better, though. And I have to admit, I tasted these guys' you know, beer before, and I went and got their barley wine because I know they're really good brewers. They call the Duck Rabbit Brewery. So now you guys can tell me where you're from. North Carolina. Yeah, I, uh, I actually uh, got some of their beer for All About Beer magazine and, uh, and really liked it. So we were looking at, like, who's barley wine to get. I said, you know, it's one thing you can tell. If someone's a good brewer, you can, you can go and try their beer and you can figure, you know what? They're making a barley wine. It's going to be good. And I, I also knew, despite having never tasted your barley wine, that it, wasn't, it probably wasn't going to be a really blown-out, huge, hot monster barley wine. You know, based on what I had tasted, you know, of yours before. Now, those barley wines, I love some of them, like Bigfoot, etc. But they're not the best thing for Stilton because that heavy bitterness tends to clash. You know, the cheese has its own bitterness from the bluing, and the two of them don't always work that well together. So this is, I, th I would say, somewhere between the, Amer the brighter American style and the older English style. You know, it has a nice richness to it. It's got enough residual sugar, I think, to work well uh, up against the salt. Uh, nice malt center, but it's not one of those like the English ones that you might have to age for five or six years before you can taste it. And that malt character, I think, really dives into the center of what the cheese is all about. And I think the two you know, work really nicely together on the palate. That's really quite nice. Now, you can also try it with the English, um, the big English barley wines like J.W. Lee's and Thomas Hardy's. Very nice pairings for Stilton. You know, obviously, in some ways, the original pairings for Stilton. Barley wine was originally a style of beer which was made not commercially, but by English aristocratic houses. And it was a beer that was designed to age. And it really didn't make it out to the general public until about 1800. You know, because it was much too expensive uh, for people to produce on a commercial basis. So you can think of this pairing as one that's quite an old pairing, uh, barley wine and Stilton, you know, the king of cheeses, you know, going together with in some ways, you know, the king of beers when it comes to, uh, when it comes to strength, when it comes to complexity, you know, over time. Now, we just only tasted four different pairings, but I think you get a general overview of the things you can do. I always like to do it this way where we taste one blue cheese, one goat cheese, one sheep's milk cheese, and uh, I like to throw in uh, a, 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 a triple creme if I can, or hard cow's milk cheese. A real, another really nice pairing that we don't have time for is a pair of uh, uh, nice farmhouse cheddars with IPAs, you know, because they're both, they're both about sharpness and fruit. And I think based on what you just saw, you can see why that works. So as you're now looking forward, even though it's 70 some odd degrees outside, you know, the holidays are in fact right around the corner. You know, I've got Thanksgiving next month. You know, those of you who are in fact eating cheese around the holidays, you know, I hope that you'll think about uh, what you might do with some beer. You know, because you can put together some tremendous pairings. You can find your own favorites. And once you really find what you like, you'll find that it's pretty easy to go out and, uh, and, and, and grab very quickly and put together you know, your own tastings that uh, you don't have to work all that hard once you kind of understand. For example, I knew that the Osawa Rati was going to work with that brown ale without having to go taste the brown ale because I know what they are like as brewers. 
I knew the beer would have a nice full caramel character, a nice chocolatey character, and that these two things would work together. Another thing you can try with Stilton sometime is Imperial Stout. It might sound like a strange combination, but in the background of Stilton is a rather chocolatey flavor. I discovered this by accident one time when some uh, wires got crossed and I ended up at a tasting with Stilton and our own black chocolate stout. It was supposed to be either uh, Stilton with our barley wine or chocolate truffles with black chocolate stout. And they got the wires crossed. I ended up with Stilton and black chocolate stout. I was panicking. The audience was already out there. I said, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I went in the back, I tasted it, and it was great. Of course, I walked out front and acted like, you know, you know, I put this new pairing together for you. But I've used it a lot since, and I think that it is very nice. So, you know, that's one you might want to try on your own. I know that uh, they have uh, another thing going on in here in a little while, but I have a, a, a couple of minutes to answer a few questions. I know that there's a uh, microphone around. You see the gentleman right here. If anybody's got any questions they want to ask. All this information that you talked about, where can we get a copy of it? If we but, cannot retain it all. <laughs> well, there's a lot of information out there on cheese. Um, the for Obviously, I would say for beer and food pairing, you know, my book's called The Brewmaster's Table. I'm actually doing uh, a book signing. Uh, I actually don't know where the book signing is, but I'm sure the very nice people here will tell me where I'm going directly after this to, to go uh, to be selling books and I'll be signing books. And, you know, that has a whole section on beer and cheese. I think that there are a lot of great cheese books out there. Uh, one of the a couple of the best are by a guy named Max McCallman, one called The Cheese Plate, uh, which is an ex excellent uh, starting book for cheese. Another uh, Other books are by a guy named Steve Jenkins, you know, wonderful primers on cheese. So I think those are good places to start. My father-in-law is from Latin America, so cheese is the dessert. That's what we have for dessert. What would you recommend with something like a, a double Gloucester or, you know, it's not quite a cheddar, it's not quite right. a stilt. I, I would tend to go for pale ale, but one with quite a bit of, uh, of uh, I mean, with a, with a good amount of crystal malt in it so that you have a full amber color. And that really picks up on, you know, the sweetness of that cheese and it has, you tend, tend to have enough hop attack to work well against, you know, the, 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 the tangy acidity that those cheeses tend to have. They also have a lot of salt. so. You know, as you're in there with the caramel, you have some sweetness to oppose that salt. I mean, that works really nicely together. You know, you're seeing that happening now down in Latin America where you're having a, a resurgence of the old Latin American beer culture, which originally a lot of which came from Germany in the 1800s. So a lot of fun stuff going on there. One more question. I think they're going to have to go after this. Yeah, I was wondering, where's the bow tie? I, I was going to have a tie on. As you can see, there is no tie here. And I got, I got all my stuff together, and I got on the plane, and as I was sitting there, you know, looking at the outside, I said, you know, forgot the ties. Never did have a bow tie, but uh, I think tomorrow maybe I will have a tie. But I think I'm doing pretty fine, don't you? All right, then. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this portion of the Craft Beer Radio Great American Beer Festival coverage. To find more coverage or to subscribe to our podcast, go to craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. 